Welcome to Women Winning Divorce. I am your host, Heather Quick. I am an attorney, entrepreneur, author, and founder of Florida Women's Law Group, the only divorce firm for women by women. I love thinking big, thinking outside the box, creating creative solutions for women and empowering women to win in all aspects of their life. Our approach at Florida Women's Law Group is to provide women with a strategy to not only achieve their objectives, but win at life. I believe that what may show up as adversity is simply an opportunity to change and improve your life. In each episode, I sit down with innovative professionals and leaders who are focused on how you can be your best self before, during, and after divorce. In these conversations, we are looking at how women can win at life. I have the unique opportunity to meet women when they are at a transition period of life, but that is only the beginning to becoming your best self and winning at life on your terms. With our guests, we enjoy the opportunity to explore ways all women can win and enhance their life, no matter where they are in their journey, because divorce is just a point in life, not the end and not what defines you, rather a catalyst for your growth. Welcome to today's episode of Women Winning Divorce. I'm Heather Quick, owner and attorney of Florida Women's Law Group. Today, I'm joined by Shauna Woods, managing partner of Atlanta Divorce Law Group in Atlanta, Georgia. And she has had a wide variety of family law experience, like working with the special assistant of the attorney general for child support enforcement, managing family law firms, and advocating for diverse family situations. She also co-hosts the Happily Ever Divorce podcast. Shauna, welcome. Well, thank you, Heather. It's lovely to be here. Well, um, I am so excited. We are going to have a great conversation today. But before so, I'd love for our listeners to get a little bit more information about you. So please kind of tell us like how you got into family law and you know what you like about it, how you got where you are now. Yes, that's wonderful. I, um, you know, going to law school, I was one of those who was very determined to change the world. I think we all were very idealistic when we chose to go to law school. And I kind of fell into family law as being able to change the world family at a time and really make a difference individually, right? Instead of thinking we're going to globally be able to change things, but move things along and really help influence people like I said, individually, um, it just so happens that, you know, I come from a family where my parents divorced each other twice. And so I have a lot of experience pre-law with divorce. Well, yes, that's just in the same boat. But I think sometimes that, you know, when you have family members or close friends, like where you really kind of lived through that situation, whether it was your own divorce or not, It just gives you a unique insight uh, into what our clients are going through, I believe. It really does. And when you do have a family member, I had a daughter who went through a divorce and it was a long time after I'd been a family law attorney. And it added just even more layers of perspective that I didn't previously have. So when they're that close to you and you have to go through it with them on that side, it definitely makes you a better attorney on this side. I love that. I I think that is so true and how lucky your clients are to have you and the fact that you had that experience. So I know I told my mom not that long ago, I was like, you know, it wasn't all for nothing. Like I've gotten a lot of perspective out of what you've gone through to help other people. So there is good that comes out. Absolutely. Yes. So today, gosh, we've got a great topic today about 
parental alienation. And um, I, you know, I've had issues, cases with that. Obviously, I know you have. I'm really excited to dig into it and talk about all the various aspects um, in regards to parental alienation. Um, but, Sean, maybe our listeners really haven't heard that word, or maybe they've heard the word estranged, but not alienation. And I was wondering if you could explain that for our listeners. Absolutely. And parental alienation is a very specific thing. And most people believe that it has to be intentional. And I don't. I think that sometimes it can be an unintentional thing. But what it is, it's a one parent is displaying to the child that the other parent is either unsafe, unwell, is untrustworthy to the detriment of that child and that parent's relationship. And typically, especially when it is done purposefully, the, it, the purpose is to cause a rift uh, in that parent-child relationship with your co-parent. So what you're looking at is, you know, when they're doing it intentionally, is a manipulation of the child's feelings towards the other parent in a negative way. Now, explain to us the difference versus estranged parent and alienation. This is a great topic, and I'm so glad we're talking about it because we talk about this as versus protection versus parental alienation somewhat, right? When you do have an estrangement, say that a parent has taken themselves out of the equation or they via maybe they have an addiction issue, maybe they're just constantly they're a workaholic in their way and they're just not available for the child, they themselves are making that estrangement. Right. It is the parent's responsibility, obviously, to facilitate a relationship with their child, especially when they're young. So the estrangement is really the parent's fault who is causing it. Then when we talk about protection versus parental alienation, that's a fine one to walk because, again, if we're looking at someone who's been abusive, maybe physically abusive, emotionally or mentally abusive, or has an addiction issue, you have to set up certain parameters in which that parent can interact with your child in a safe and productive way. But the key thing between the protection and the parental alienation, right, is that the parent who is protecting still wants to facilitate some sort of relationship. They just want to do it in a way that is healthy for the child. The one who is being engaging in parental alienation want to cut that relationship off between the child and the other parent. You know, I think it's helpful for our listeners to understand, you know, what are some of these signs of parental alienation? Because they may not realize there's they're going to be subject to this claim, possibly. They may not even realize they're doing it, or they might, like you said. But either way, like, I think that would be helpful if we could talk about some of those signs. Absolutely. And I want to tell you, there are sometimes when people are accused of parental alienation that are not engaging in it. And so you just want to be aware of what is it we're looking at and what are some signs of parental alienation. One of them is bad mouthing the other parent to the children. Right. And this makes spurn for something, say the child has an issue. And instead of saying, OK, well, how do we work through the issue with the other? you start bashing the other parent well of course that's what they did that's how they are right mm -hmm. it draws that wedge um calling the other parent by their first name to the child rather than your mom or your dad 
uh, that policy. Me, Shana, I have never heard that. that that's interesting. I'm going to have to file that one away. I guess that would be just yeah. kind of disrespectful in your communication of that person as their parent. Right. Well, it's disrespectful, but it's also drawing that line of putting them as a person who's not that, right? They're putting them as this is their name and that is what you are calling them now instead of relating to them as a parent. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely withholding um, information from the other parent, not sharing information with the other parent can be seen as parental alienation. And really another thing that we want, you know, we, what we're kind of looking for is do you confide in your child about things that are going on between you and the other parent when they don't need to know that information? Yeah, and I mean, really, we know they, they never really ought to need to know that information, and, and that one, you could look at that in a lot of different ways and credit, you know, I'm sure people have different perspectives, but overall, that can be a big one, because obviously, they're getting information from your perspective that's going to negatively impact the way they think about their their other, their their father, I mean, from our perspective. Yeah, their mother or their father, their mother and or kids their father. naturally they want to protect you. They're very protective of their parents, you know, especially if they're close to closer to one than the other. And when I talk about bad mouthing, a lot of people will say, well, I didn't say it to my child. No, but you said it where your child could hear you or you posted it on social media where not only they see it, but all their friends and their friends' parents are seeing these things. So you really want to be circumspect. I tell everyone, remember, your child deserves another parent. And we're going to do everything we can to promote that in whatever aspect we're able to. And, you know, I, um, yeah, and, and the reality is you had a child with this person and you, and, and that's just, you chose them. And now you want us to help remove them from this situation, which is not always possible. It's, it's very rarely possible. Um, uh in these cases but what okay let's talk about this what are the effects not only on the kids but on the divorce because i mean i know my experience if this comes up you're looking really bad in front of the judge oh absolutely well first of all you could absolutely lose custody if you engage in parental alienation one of the ways they counteract if you're engaging in parental alienation is to actually cut the child off from you for a period of time Right. And to completely immerse them with the other parents so that they have bonding time again. So I want people to listen to that very carefully. You could actually lose custody. Secondly, you're going to prolong your case. It's going to cost more. You're going to have to have more experts involved. You're going to have to probably go to, through litigation. And if you what you really want is a disentanglement from your soon to be ex, this is one of the worst things you can do because it's going to enmesh you with them in litigation for a really long time. And yeah, and make it just yeah, drawn out litigation, which some cases maybe it is I don't know if it's ever beneficial, frankly, for anybody um but the lawyers, but um even us, I know we just don't like that continuation. It just because you know it, it's only going to end up worse for our clients in the long run. Um, but just that increased animosity and then you're, you know, sometimes clients do things, you know, without asking us or, you know, obviously um without telling us. And then, you know, we've got to kind of course correct 
for them because we know how the court looks upon this or how they're being portrayed. And you've got to then dig yourself out of a hole, which then, of course, like you said, takes longer. And, you know, the next question is, how does this, you know, affect co-parenting, which, you know, in a way you're like, well, you're trying to alienate, but we both know the law says you have to co-parent. I mean, this can really impact even your own ability to do so because you obviously have these strong feelings about your spouse that you're, you know, co-parent. So, I mean, how the, what, you know, advice do you have for people in that? Because I think it's really creates problems. In, in co-parenting, yeah, that's a really hard thing to do. And I think a lot of people who either actively engage or subconsciously engage in parental alienation don't want to co-parent. They don't want the parent there at all. Mm -hmm. And I think a really good thing to do for most people going through a divorce, and you'd probably agree with me, Heather, is first of all, get into some therapy. That's going to be a great self-check on what your intentions are and how they're manifesting, you know, in this co-parenting relationship and towards your child. Co-parenting with somebody who's actively trying to alienate is a disaster. They constantly fight. They constantly won't give each other information. They're hiding things from the other one. They don't want to be, you know, used or abused in, in this situation. So. And I know that where you are, you do a lot more 50-50 custody from what I was seeing on the statistics that Georgia does. That is really just detrimental, of course, to somebody who's trying to alienate. So when you're looking at co-parenting, you really want to kind of look at it and say, remember, regardless of the fact that I'm leaving this marriage, this person's going to be in my life. And I'm going to have to deal with them in some capacity. Just like you said, you chose them at some point in time. You chose them to have children with. And now we have to figure out how to do that post-separation. Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, obviously, they don't want to go here. And, and, and that, what you said in there, you know, about therapy is so important because, um, it's, you know, we as lawyers, you know, we know what's going to happen in front of the judge and the court, especially the longer it's gone on, you see how it's playing out. And if usually, and I would say for our listeners, like, because I, I am sticking up for you for sure, if maybe somebody's accusing you, but this is usually not really one-sided. Like there are a lot of dynamics going on, which um, I know cause you to feel like this is the right thing to do and maybe even protecting your child. And I'm, I'm thinking from the overall, you know, their best intentions, but yet it, um, the law is not, unless there's really, you know, some documented evidence about this person being dangerous and the substance abuse, and they're still going to work to right, try to unify, reunify them and make it get together. So I feel like for our, you know, parents out there and particularly women they are like, but no, I don't want to go parent you know, he's a bad parent and I don't want him around. It's like, well, you got to dig into that with some therapy probably because the law isn't going to see it that way, most likely. You're exactly right, Heather. The, the law is looking at 
so many different things, right? And they bring cases in all the time and some are super egregious and some are just basically the run of the mill. And most people are going to fall in that middle of the road, right? They're going to run of the mill. Yes, we've got someone who's trying to protect their child from, like I said, maybe a, a, a yeller, a screamer, or somebody who is abusive in their language towards the child. And the law doesn't always pick up on those nuances of how that is affecting your child. So a lot of times what I have to advise my clients is you need to get your child in therapy as well as being in therapy yourself, because the other person is always going to be their parent. We don't get to pick over, right? We've got one mom, one dad, or sometimes two moms or two dads, but we've got two parents here and we don't get to pick them. Therefore, what we're looking at is how do we teach our our children to give them the tools, right? To be the parent, to be the child of this parent. And sometimes that's the best thing you can do for their protection. That, that is just so well said because right, they are going to need to cope. And I know I've, you know, explained that to our clients before, like, okay, I can't be in your home and there's very little we can do for the judge to see that interaction and understand. So your child's going to need cope with this person as their father, mother, so they should get into some therapy. And I really don't see that as, there's never a downside, frankly, because if the child is truly in fear and danger, you know, many times, many times a therapist can be like, listen, they can come testify and say, I don't, there's not alienation going on here. Like they've ruined their relationship with their child. Like it's, it, that is really not due to, you know, the non, you know, alienated parent it's due to their own actions and this child is able to verbalize and explain and they have true feelings that we don't think are being you know tainted or biased say by their mom or dad like it's the way the child feels and I think that that can go a long way I, I know I've had cases where the judge was like he thought it was right because they're not in that kind of situation and they don't talk with the children generally here at least um and then when the therapist came and said, oh, no, no, this isn't mom's doing. Dad's done this all on his own. And that's why that child has these feelings. So dad needs to work to repair it. Yes, I, I completely agree with you. We don't really talk with the children here. The court doesn't. But we do guardian ad litems who, and you probably have those as well, who can interview the child and talk with their therapist and talk with, you know, their teachers, which are wealth of information from teachers. Um, teachers really have a good eye for, for this, but you're right. Judges have this snapshot and all they are able to see is what we're able to present to them. Yeah. And that's one of the hardest things to explain to our clients, right? Like we're going to have just such a short amount of time to give the judge a snapshot and an understanding of what's going on. So, you know, that's, Part of what what your lawyers do is how much can we let them see in that period of time but we are about ready for our first break and we will be right back and during this time listeners uh, we would love for you to please leave us a five-star review that will help others find this podcast and also let us know which episode has been most helpful to you so far we will be right back we are back from our break, and again, today I'm joined with by Shauna Woods, Managing Partner of Atlanta Divorce Law Group. Now, last segment, we talked about what parent, parental alienation is, some, you know, obviously possible effects and signs, and, you know, we're going to talk some more, but really how alienation is treated in the law. We, Shauna certainly touched on it in the beginning, but 
I, there was one thing I wanted to ask you before we went to break, but we didn't have time. And I do, you know, want to talk, especially for our listeners, because sometimes, um, you know, you're in a co-parenting relationship. Maybe you're still in the divorce or this is after the divorce regardless, but, you know, your ex-spouse is in a new relationship and or there are stepchildren involved. And so that's a lot that can be going on at that other house, of course, that you don't really have access to. And frankly, maybe your ex doesn't have as much control, um, obviously, of, you know, stepchildren. But, you know, where where is that line? What is that line of wanting to protect your children versus alienation? Well, first, we would hope that the two parents who are supposed to be co-parenting have an open line of communication so that if there's something that's going on, it's bothering your child and they're coming to you, you can reach out in an appropriate way to the other parent and say, can we talk about this? This is bothering our child. That's not always possible. Sometimes the reaction is so negative back towards the child from the initial parent that that doesn't always come to fruition. So again, it's talking with the child about, okay, so this issue is bothering you. How can we make it better, right? How can we adjust? What is it the things we can do to take control of the situation so that we can make it better? The last thing that we wanna do is say, okay, well, then you're just not going over there. And we all know that blending families is a really hard especially when you know you've got jealousies and you've got new people coming into your lives and it's really hard look as moms especially we always want to jump in and, and be that mama bear and protect our children but that doesn't teach them to be self-reliant individuals true and i think it's going to vary too it's so hard depending on the age of your child because the younger they are you, you know and you can you know hear some things which may, you know, it's from the child's perspective usually and can really create a lot of fear. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of those, I can go to the worst case scenario, you know, in less than five seconds. And, um, you know, you, you're just not sure and you do get scared and you want to protect. And then of course, hey, you know, the older the children too, they can very much have their own motivations and they may not like that new spouse or stepchildren as well and, and not, you know, to suggest that they are intentionally being, um, you know, untruthful, but they're just, you know, maybe twisting things in their perception and what they're experiencing because they don't want to be there. And like how you find that middle ground when, you know, especially if you can't really talk to your ex about what's going on over there. It's, it's definitely a balancing act and, and it's not easy. And I don't want anybody to think that we're saying, oh, it's easy, just do this. What we're doing, Heather and I just have these experiences with the law and experiences with helping our clients that are just be able to say, here's some tips and tools that we've learned along the way to give to the next person. Yeah, which leads me to, okay, so we're talking about in the court, you know, how, what's needed to prove alienation. And, you know, this is something where, particularly in Florida, um, I would get an expert, right? Because otherwise it's he said, she said, and frankly, you, um, you're not going to be your best witness, um, as to defend yourself mm -hmm. often. Um, and so very, what we have in Florida, it used to be called a child custody evaluation, and now it is called a social investigation, but essentially mm -hmm. that one is really helpful because an expert is appointed. Um, and they usually have, you know, mental health, um, either licensed mental um, 
social worker or a psychologist, but they go through all these factors. They visit both homes and they really interview all the people involved, which mm-hmm. obviously saves the court so much time and money and you, because you can imagine, as you know, you know, that's like two week trial, like bringing in all these witnesses and, um, and at least can aid the court in knowing what's going on. Um, but I do find sometimes getting appointed, maybe even a psychologist for the child and the family. Um, and the courts are, we have some of our judges who do do that. And, you know, because it's ordered, then they come back and report to the court what they found. I don't, you know, what have you seen to be the most effective with alienation cases? Yes, and I agree. Experts are the best course of action. Um, Here, like I mentioned, we have guardian items who's usually somebody who's appointed to represent the best interest of the children. They don't represent the children, but they represent their best interest. So they do some of these investigations. They really act as a witness for the court. They are a tool for the court. And they can talk to therapists when maybe the therapist doesn't want to come in, right? Because they're preserving their um, the child's privacy and the sanctity. But the guardian can go and talk to them and then give the impression to the judge about what's going on in that particular situation. We do have custody evaluators as well. And, you know, psychological evaluations and all these wonderful tools to be able to help and assist us. And if either we're proving or disproving parental alienation, because we both have been on both sides of those cases, then we are really relying on these experts who have this information and have this experience to be able to tell the court what's going on. But a lot of this is nuanced, right? There's there's so many, well, I don't think this is alienation, but this is the effect of what it was. Mm -hmm. So the other things, if you're just a person out there who's like, how do I you know, just start gathering this evidence because I think it's going on or I think I'm trying to disprove it. One of the things is to start making a list of witnesses who've seen what you've seen. Um, Start pulling their social media posts when you see them, you know, that are negative towards the other parent. Um, Keeping track of, and like I said before, school teachers, I find are a wealth of information, wonderful witnesses because they are a neutral party that is just there to help your child. So those are the type of things that we see, but you're right. When we're either proving or disproving parental alienation, a lot of times it's a long trial. And because there's so many small things that build up into either protection or alienation. Yeah, and I think, you know, for our listeners, I know, you know, you mentioned this at the very beginning, and I would like to touch on this because even if it has not been your intent, but the effect is the same. It, it could really come to hurt you, I think, just as badly. Um, I think that the court's still going to be like, at the end of the day, I, at least our judges here, you know, they care about the kids. So even if you didn't mean to do it, but what you've done has had this effect, the court, you know, is going to do what's in its power to try to repair that relationship, you know, with the other parent. Absolutely. And one of the things that I tell people is this is not irreversible, you know, at least especially when they're young. Sometimes when you get into the older stages of teenage years, it really is almost impossible to turn the tide if they've been doing it a while. But acknowledging, yeah, that was probably not something good I did. 
right? Just acknowledging it and say, yeah, you know what? I made a really bad mistake where I called him an a-hole in front of the kid or, you know, whatever it was that you were doing. Making that acknowledgement and letting the court know that you intend to do better, that you recognize that was bad and you intend to do better. The problems that we see a lot of times is when the client absolutely refuses or the other party, whoever it may be, absolutely refuses to admit that that was a wrong thing, right? That what they did was problematic. And, and that is, yes, that, that's a real struggle. You hope maybe you're on the other side of that and that's not your client because um, it, it, there's gonna be a harsh reality with the judge's result there. Um, I, I agree. I think sometimes um, clients are like, well, I'm not gonna lie to my kids and I'm gonna tell them. And it's like that, it, you know, you're you're really taking that out of context and you're you're doing things that are are going to hurt their relationship with the other parent. And I think at the end of the day, Shauna, it, it's gonna come back to bite you. And it might not be now, but they're gonna get, they're gonna grow up, they're gonna wanna figure it out, and they're gonna know who was doing that. And it, it's really could have long-term negative effects for your own relationship with your child if you were the one trying to keep them from their other parents. Absolutely. I've seen that happen a lot when I've been representing the person who has been alienated. And unfortunately, it just had reached the point where the child just they refuse to go over there or they'll self-harm or threat to self-harm if they have to see the parent. That's a big sign that some alienation may be going on. So but then they become adults, like you said, and they start remembering, well, that's not exactly how I see it now, right? Mm -hmm. Mom or dad was telling me this one thing, but now that I'm an adult and I have this a different perspective, I can understand what was going on from the other person's perspective. And a lot of people may, and I'm going to put this in quotes, win the war of having that child reject the other parent when they are a minor, when they are young. But then it tied turns and they end up not having a relationship as an adult with the parent who engaged in parental alienation. Yeah, I think I think that's really the the long term effect that that most likely is going to happen. Um, now, let me ask you this and, and just get the take, especially in particular with Georgia law. But, you know, for maybe any of our listeners, somebody who is like this is going on right now. Right. We're already divorced and wondering, mm -hmm. you know, can they go to court to try to modify? things like their time sharing and parenting plans because of alienation. They can. Um, we would consider that here in Georgia to, and there's two types of changing things. So let me just briefly, without getting into the weeds of law, um, if you're just wanting to adjust the timeshare, you can actually go back at any point in time here in Georgia and say, look, the way we're sharing time with our children simply isn't working. But if you are looking to actually change where they live primarily or change a final decision making factor, which can be very important, mm -hmm. um, then there has to be what we call material change in circumstances. But if someone is engaging in parental alienation, that is the material change in circumstance. Right. Because like I said, most of the time they're not sharing information the way they should. Our parenting plans always talk about there's no supposed to be disparaging the other parent. You're supposed to facilitate. There's all this you know, aspirational language in our parenting plan that gives enough teeth for the court to grab onto if we have to go back, if somebody is seriously disregarding that aspirational parenting plan. That, and that sounds a, a 
a little bit different than Florida. Um, you know, if you really, we have that high burden of a substantial change in circumstances as for anything related to mm. that final divorce related to children. Like that's that first burden. And then, then it looks at the best interest, but even if it's in their best interest, if you don't have a substantial change in circumstances, um, which I think alienation, but again, there's going to be a lot of proof required that's difficult. And I think it's going to come from the child reporting to a therapist or guardian ad litem. Like you're going to have to get some solid other evidence, opinion, or like what you said, which which is horrible and so sad when the child is, you know, threatening to harm themselves rather than go over there. So something's going on. Whether, you know, who knows what it is, something's going on that really does need to be investigated, I would say, um, and, and probably worthwhile to get the courts involved. Absolutely. The, and it really is because when, when a child, and I just want to touch on this because again, when we're talking about, and you mentioned it, my child deserves to know the truth or I never lie to my child. One of the things that you want to keep in mind, your child is half this other person. So when you are saying so-and-so is a blank, insert whatever, you know, adjective there that you would like to, you're telling your child you're half that too. Mm -hmm. And even if they are siding with you and being like, yeah, they're really horrible, they're also internalizing all that negative energy because they're thinking, and that's half of who I am. Yeah. And, and also it just is, like you said, that protection mechanism as well. Um, you know, a circumstance where, you know, an example, there's, you know, your ex-husband's remarried, stepchildren, maybe also new baby, whole new thing, but maybe you're still alone. And so now by oversharing mm -hmm. and, and really you have a lot of emotions, you may very well so, but you're going to have to find another outlet or a therapist because your child is going to take on so many of the feelings. And like you said earlier, a natural wanting to protect you. And now, even though they, they may very well want to engage, you know, with their, their father, um, or even if they don't, right? Like they're mad too, but yet that's not helpful for them just to feed that fire, right? They, they need some therapy to help under deal with the changes. Don't you think? Absolutely. I call it, I haven't really heard this term, but to me, it's called an emotional incest, right? When you are getting your emotions met by a child rather than providing the safe space for the child just to have their own emotions and for you to help them deal with it. Your emotions should be dealt with your friends, your adult family, and your therapist. Absolutely. And, and I, and that's hard. And, and many times as, you know, attorneys, we don't know all of that right away. When we first meet with you and, and I know some clients think, oh, that's so harsh, but it's like, well, um, it's really for your benefit in the legal process, uh, because we really know when, if it gets all of that dirty laundry air, it, it's going to be really unfortunate for you, uh, in the court system. And what you think by these actions you're doing, like you said, to achieve this, it's gonna really backfire at the end of the day. We're gonna take another break and we will be right back. And listeners, again, if this is your favorite part of the week, we would ask that you please subscribe and that way you're not gonna miss an episode. And uh, we always appreciate a five-star review. So we will be right back. Welcome back from our last break. And again, today I'm joined by Shauna Woods. 
Uh, she's the managing partner at uh, Atlanta Divorce Law Group. And we are so happy to have her. And we're really talking about a difficult subject and that it can affect so many people. And, and it's really heartbreaking because it can really tear a family apart and um, can also just lead to years, years of really a lot of contentious litigation. Um, and we discussed in the last episode uh, how parental alienation is treated in court. And now uh, we're going to be talking about what to do if everyone is alienated. Like what if both mom and dad are alienated? You know, we see this in situations when the kids get fed up a lot of times. Uh, both parents may be engaging in parental alienation or, you know, there's just so much contention between the parents that the child doesn't want to be around either one of them, right? And it's really sad. And we do see the, I'd mentioned it before, we do see these in situations where the child starts self-harming or acting out at school or doing something of that nature. But what we want and what we really encourage is if we do have two parents who simply are not going to be able to parent their child and the child is not thriving, it's not being successful in their, in their homes, we're looking to outside sources. And hopefully those are immediate family members or close friends who have been a significant adult in this child's life already. Because I guess that's what they're looking for. You see that she'll, are you seeing, you know, in those kind of cases, I don't think I've ever really had quite so much of that, um, but where the child is really just seeking to replace, you know, one parent with that other adult figure, like somebody that they love and trust in their life. Maybe a grandparent. We don't see a whole lot of these where we have both parents who are alienated. Most of the times we do have, when we have a parental alienation case, it's contentious and the child is caught in the middle. But think about it in just our terms. If there's something that it is an adult, if there's constant fighting and everywhere you're going, don't you seek that safe place where it's quiet and it's safe and you can just be yourself? So, so is your child going to be doing that? And it very well may be this is a grandparent situation or this is an aunt or uncle situation that the child, you know, relies on. Mm -hmm. um, and that's important because studies do show that children who even have really difficult home lives, so long as they do have at least one adult in their life that they can trust and that they can go to and that is a positive influence on them, are so much more successful than if they don't have any adults they can rely on. Um, now, I know that in your experience, you've taken on a lot of cases that you know, there are diverse family situations involving grandparents or family members uh, that aren't mom or dad. And I love, you know, I love to talk about the differences in the states. Obviously, you're in Georgia, we're in Florida. So I'd love to know, like, what rights, if any, do grandparents have if both parents aren't involved or alienated from the child's life? Our grandparents' rights became a little more solid um, in the last couple of years. When I first started practicing 20 years ago, grandparents really didn't have any rights in the state of Georgia unless one of the parents that were dead, basically. Mm -hmm. um, but now we do have situations. Grandparents can either um, enter into the divorce case itself or if they can show that it would be detrimental to the child in either a physical or emotional way, then they can seek not only visitation, sometimes 
it's just visitation, but sometimes they can actually seek custody as well. So it really depends on the level of egregiousness that's going on. And it is a higher level, right? We're not talking about parents who stand on the equal level. Grandparents don't stand on the equal level as parents here in the state of Georgia. So they have a higher burden of proof to show that if they were not given custody or if they were not given visitation, that it would actually be physically or mentally, emotionally harmful to the child. Wow, that that's a huge difference, Shauna, uh, from Florida. And I, um, yeah, not, there would really be no opportunity for grandparents in Florida to enter into a divorce. Um, now, there are issues when um, they can have some temporary custody, but so many things have to happen. Basically, the parents have to abandon them. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's more like there's no other option. It's not to say that that lack of contact would be detrimental. And so that's fascinating because I can see where there would be that opportunity, particularly in a you know, if the children have gotten to that point of the self-harm or alienation, um, you know, where the grandparents might step in. Yes, and it is helpful in certain situations. And it's not just in alienation situations where we're finding it helpful, but we find it helpful in situations where perhaps there was never a dad involved in the child's life. And the parent who's parenting has some addiction problems or something else, but it's not rising to the level of the child being taken away by the state. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the child has been really raised by the grandparents. Right. They the parent may come in and out of the child's life, but the child has grown up with the grandparents. They're the ones putting them to school. They're the ones doing bedtime stories with them. They're raising their grandchild. So they allow intervention both in divorce cases and what we have here is legitimation cases. And I'm not sure you have those there. If a child is born outside of wedlock here in the state of Georgia, the father does not have any rights until he goes to his court to establish those rights through legitimation. So a lot of times when both parents are outside of the child's life, it's because the father never established his rights and the mother is having some issues. Got it. Yeah, we um, those are just called paternity cases here in Florida, um, which and it's similar. And, and that would um, I could see that being um, a, where it would be very appropriate. And you'd certainly. Um, see those other uh, family members, because it's great to have that extra support when you are going through a divorce. And I think that sometimes it's unfortunate what I've seen, um, because there are cases where then you do kind of excommunicate your ex's parents um, from the child's lives, but they had a really good relationship. Now, I don't see that often. I, I see more often than not, you know, I have I have clients who are like, no, we have a great relationship and I, I want my child to continue that. Hopefully that, you know, they won't not want to see them anymore. But, you know, um, you've spoken before on being a single parent, having family that raised you wasn't particularly conventional. Um, can you share with our listeners a little about that support dynamic? Absolutely. So I grew up in a religion that didn't want you to associate with anyone outside the religion. It was very insular. Um, my dad was, he was 
very much workaholic and he worked all the time. And my mom suffered from a mental illness. So I know Gen X, which I am Generation X, we often joke that we were feral children, right? We just kind of were thrown out to the wind and we raised ourselves. And to some extent, you know, there were definitely times when we had a lot more freedom than the children nowadays. But I had um, people who were within that religion, two women in particular, um, my Auntie Gail, who is now passed, and my Auntie Rosemary, who really did step up and encourage me in certain ways and believe in me in ways that I think were really made me the person that I am today. And without the influence of these extra people being around to help raise me, I don't think that I would have made it as far in life as I have. And that does include being a single parent. Actually, I I call myself an only parent because I was the only one involved in my daughter's life. I didn't have a co-parent to share her with. So it was very difficult in her life with my own experiences and people like, and I get it when, especially when your child is young, you cannot imagine that child spending one night away from you or not less a whole weekend or two weeks in the summer. That just seems devastating. But I will tell you in my experience, it's helpful for that parent to have that time away from the child because you need help, right? We need to recharge as parents. We need time to ourselves. We need help in raising our children and there shouldn't be any resentment for people who are you love and you trust coming in and saying can I lend a helping hand it's always wonderful for that child to be loved by so many people and you know I I completely agree and also then you know when as a parent like you said that recharge but it also you know a reminder you need to have other um emotional you know outlets as well because you know sometimes you can put too much on your child and if you don't have that you know break as well um now let me ask you this though especially in the state of georgia because so you know you have other people who are supportive and they may be family they may be like family right like but they mm -hmm. they really help you with your children and, and are those positive adults um now could they ever you know, have you ever been involved in anything or like where there's like a parent substitution in a sense of like, do they have any rights to any visitation or custody of the children? It, it is definitely a higher burden, but we have something that's very recent. We have something called the Equitable Caregiver Act. And that was created, I believe it was two or three years ago that it was signed in. And it does give rights to people who have been involved in a child's life, but who have not, for whatever reason, adopted or were, had been, like a legal term that makes them as the parent. Think, for instance, a step-parent, right? A step-parent who you have grown up in that household, they really have been that parent for you. And say your mom or dad divorces from them, or what happens if your parent dies? And that step-parent can step in with this Equitable Caregiver Act and ask for custody or ask for parenting time, right? And so we do have this vehicle. It is not used very often and the burden is high to get somebody custody under the equitable caregiver act but i think it's very beneficial in those unique situations when we really want somebody who has been in that child's life to be able to remain legally in that child's lives 
that's a fascinating law. Like really, Shauna, that's, um, I can see they're, they're, like you said, they're going to be very, probably, you know, very small percentage of cases and facts that would meet that. But um, that's really great that it allows that because I think there are many situations where there's been a step parent involved for many years and they have a very close relationship in Florida. Doesn't matter. I mean, once their child's an adult, they can um, do that. But if they, there would be no, under no circumstances, would there be a, a spot where they could then get a parenting plan or any time court order with that child. Yes, we actually here in the family law bar community in Georgia, we're so happy that we have this vehicle to use in those unique situations. Because like you know, Heather, sometimes when people come to us and we don't have a law to fix what they need fixed, it's heartbreaking to say, I can't help you. There's nothing the law can do for you. And so I'm very happy. And what I've seen is I haven't seen a whole lot of attorneys or people try to abuse this. And I don't think that the courts are going to let them. It is a unique um, law um, that allows for very specific situations for a child to be benefited by that continued relationship and have somebody protecting them, right? Not get lost in perhaps the system otherwise. Yeah, that's um, that really is great. And, you know, just as a touch point back on what you said about grandparents, even though it is a higher burden, because that's one of those situations that I've been involved in, you know, where I have to tell them I, there's something I can do for you in the state of Florida. And in that, and it made me think about it because it was a situation where her daughter died, right? So this is her yeah. granddaughter and the husband, ex-husband refused, like absolutely completely cut off that grandmother's relationship with the child. And they had had quite the relationship. And that's just heartbreaking. And so, because again, like you said, that's one where we have to say, I, I cannot, there's nothing I can do, right? There's no legal action behind that, that I can help you reestablish that, continue that relationship. So that's, that's really great um, that that's available in Georgia. I think that for the, those cases like that, um, it, it goes a long way. And then it, of course, ends up benefiting the children, which is the whole point. Exactly. And that's what we want here in in family law, right? We get into family law because we have a passion for helping. And a lot of us have a passion, especially for helping children be in good situations. And we do that vis-a-vis -vis helping our clients have the opportunity to put them in those good situations. So in particular, the one you were just talking about, the Grandparents' Rights Act here in Georgia specifically says if your child is dead or incarcerated, it gives you the ability to go in and seek some sort of custodial time with that grandchild. Yeah, I can, there's just a lot of those exact situations, um, you know, where that would be helpful. But um, yeah. I know we got it. That was like a little bit off, but not really, because sometimes there can, you know, um, sometimes that's where the law takes us in the conversation. So I'm glad we touched on that for sure. And I, I learned something new today, which I love that, of course, although I have to, we're not going to go practice in Georgia, but now I, I know a little bit more. And of course, we know who to tell clients to call uh, if that, if they are in Georgia, for sure. But Absolutely. Um, 
And lastly, Shauna, though, before we go, um, I was wondering if you could impart on our listeners what you've learned about advocating for and empowering women throughout your career. You know, women are so resilient and amazing. And it has been one of my just pleasures in life to watch women come in and either take their power or find their power back in in becoming back into their own choices. And what I love about it so much is as we encourage women to really, again, take control of their lives, empowering them empowers others. It's not, it's not a finite thing. You know, we just keep giving. And when we give, then the women that we've given to and the women who have grown back into themselves turn around and give it to their daughters and their sons and to other women. And I think that's the key of what really is wonderful about women is that we find when we stick together, when we encourage each other, when we build each other up, it makes us feel better. It makes everyone in, in our circle better. Um, and women, there are women out there who will tear each other down, but they're few and far between, you know, for the vast majority, we're always looking to encourage each other. And I am so impressed with the women who have the courage to leave abusive relationships or just leave a relationship that isn't working for them because it's scary. Mm-hmm. And it takes courage to come into our office. So that's the first thing I usually tell people. The first step was the hardest because it took a lot of courage to get here, right? Now let's see where, where you're going to go for the next step. Well, that's awesome, Shauna. Um, thank you so much for being our guest today. And I've loved our conversation. Um, and we have reached the end of our show. And for our listeners, you can find out about Shauna or contact her at atlantadivorcelawgroup.com, which of course will all be linked below in the show notes. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you, Heather. Um, And for our listeners, if you or someone you know is going through divorce or is thinking about a divorce, of course, reach out to us at floridawomenslawgroup.com. And also think about joining our Facebook group where we are gathering together a group of women where we can have positive discussions um, at Women Winning Divorce, which also will be linked below. And we are also hiring, so check out our openings on the Florida Women's Law Group website careers section. And as always, I ask that if you've enjoyed this show, please leave us a five-star review, and thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Women Winning Divorce. My goal is to elevate your life and the way you are thinking so that you are best equipped to win at life. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe so you automatically get my new shows every week. And I would love to hear from you personally. Come join the conversation on social and join our Facebook group, Women Winning Divorce. We welcome your comments and suggestions. We want to bring you content that helps move your life forward. Women Winning Divorce is the place for an elevated conversation on how women can thrive during times of adversity in order to live their best life.